many of us in this world find ourselves searching for ways to feel more alive. We move through our lives day after day, living through the same repetitive cycles and the same stressful patterns that often leave us feeling defeated, underappreciated, or unfulfilled. But what if there were a different way to perceive life? What if out there we were able to find the keys to a happy, healthy, and fulfilling reality right here, right now? For those of us who are looking for a way to transform our lives, for those of us who want to learn how to fully live in this moment, to change how we feel, how we perceive the world, and awaken to a better reality so we can fully live this life. This is the Live This Life Podcast. I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question, are you living or are you killing time? What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Live This Life podcast. I'm your host, Heath Cummings, and this is an episode I'm excited to start. This is where we're going to start the reading of the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle produced by Namaste Publishing, who has very graciously worked with us to grant us the rights to read this book. This book is a very, very well-known book. Um, I mean, it was critically acclaimed by so many people. Oprah was one person who, who was really, really profoundly affected by this book, and she had him as a guest several times on her shows. And this book has done a lot for a lot of people, you know, myself included. When we think of our lives and the stresses that come up and the regrets and the depressions and all the, the things that really drag us down in life. They usually come from some other moment than right now. Our past is where depression and regret and all the things that we wish we could change, that there's obviously no way that we can change them. That's where they all reside. And our future is often what we we worry about. We worry about what's going to come up or how we're going to pay the bills or you know how is how is my boss going to react to something on Monday when I get back to work or is my spouse going to come home in a bad mood today? You know there's so many different things we let our power reside in the past or we let it reside in the future by creating anxiety for us. But when you think about now and the moments that you can actually make a difference and create anything, it's all continuous moments of right now. I mean, in, in 10 seconds from now, it's going to be now. And those are the moments you can actually affect change. That's when you can do something to make a difference. That's when you actually have the power to act. Every moment of now is your opportunity to make some sort of change. No matter what kind of person you've been in the past, no matter what mistakes you've made, Right now is what matters. You can completely transform everything about you and your life. Whenever I started to have a bit more of a spiritual awakening, when I got through my second cancer and I went through the additional dark night of the soul that our family was really being torn up from some of the, the side effects and the after effects of, of the cancer and, and sort of how that affected me and my personality and the way that I was approaching life. When I came through all of that stuff and went through the fire and really transformed who I was and how I looked at life, it allowed me to stand on that mountaintop and look back. And the view that I saw was 
pretty embarrassing. It was, it was regretful and it was embarrassing. And it's something that up until just recently, I looked at the person who I used to be and I looked at it with a lot of regret. I looked at that person and thought to myself, if I, I would never hang out with a person like that. I don't know how people could stand the type of person I had been. But when you realize that it doesn't matter who you've been or what you've done or where you've come from, you have a constant moment of right now to consciously shift your life in a different direction. Right now is the moment where you can stop reading the book of your life and realize that you're the author and there's nothing but blank pages sitting in front of you and you can write whatever story goes forward. And no matter what story is behind you, you can constantly transform what the end of that story is going to be by creating something in every moment that you have the ability to. That means whether you're creating some sort of new magnificent life for yourself through being an entrepreneur or creating jobs or even looking for a better job or going after an education that's going to get you somewhere else or traveling, going to see the world or going to meet new people or maybe moving on from relationships that are no longer healthy for you. Whatever decision you're making at the moment you make that decision, it is now. And you continue to move forward with that decision in every single moment of now. Something that's bothered me a little bit is I've heard certain people in these self-help and spiritual circles. Uh, one bigger name that I'm not going to mention his name, but recently a, a book has come out that calls this book that I'm very focused on and passionate about a bunch of BS. Now, in these, in these circles of people who have been in this stuff for many, many years, I mean, there's some people who are 15, 20, 30, 40 years into learning all of the secrets about how our reality works and manifestation and law of attraction and all that kind of stuff. There are so many people who look back on where they began. They forget the roots where they came from and they, they look down on the lower lessons, the stuff that they learned back in the beginning. And I think that's that's really, really irresponsible and wrong of them. This particular book has helped some people that I have met through the course of my career in my life. It's really helped them overcome things like PTSD. It's helped them overcome, uh, you know, the tragedies in their life, things that are mental scars to let them realize that their their power resides in their life in the moment of now. And it's helped them get over a lot of things. I've met people who are addicted to drugs that this book has helped. And this, the countless stories, if you look at the stories on YouTube and the testimonials of people who have read this book and have had it transform their lives, how anyone could say that this stuff is BS is beyond me. Now, may they have a different perspective? May they be so advanced? Because I guess the perspective that I have heard, and I'm going to look more into this too, but it just, it was such a, uh, something that was so much discord with me when I heard it, it just caused so much discord that I had to shut it off. I had to, I had to turn it off. I didn't even want to listen to the explanation because whatever it was, it was irresponsible. If they, if someone has a point of view that's that's going to maybe be beyond what I'm reading in this book, then maybe they're more advanced. But how do you, when you go get a college degree, you get a doctorate or anything, how do you look back on the levels of stuff that you learned back in kindergarten, first grade, second grade? How do you look back on that stuff and call it BS? It was the fundamentals of what you had to learn. And if anything helps someone, how can you call it BS? 
I mean, with with the Christian Bible, I'm not going to, I don't want to get too much into anyone's religion. I don't want to offend anybody, but the Bible, I feel, has a lot of, um, a lot of mistruths, or it's been very, very strongly edited and influenced. I think in the beginning, it had some very great basic fundamentals, and I think it had some deep, profound ancient truths, but it's been handed down and, and passed on and, and uh, you know, modified and edited so many times. I don't quite agree with everything that's in it just because of the fact of how much it's been, it's been hacked up over the years and, and, and run through editing. But it doesn't mean that that book is any less profound in saving or changing someone's life for the better. I could never call that book BS. Do I think that there's probably more complete versions than what we get today? Absolutely. But if that incomplete version that circulates out there today helps a person live a more happy and fulfilling life, no matter what the contents are, there's no way you can call that BS. So I just had to say that's been something that's been on my my chest for a couple of weeks now. And the particular circle of people that I'm around uh, heavily follow this particular person. And I I love this particular person's work. Um, That's why I'm not going to to mention their name. But that concept that seems to be picking up speed of, of looking down upon the beginning teachings of certain things, I just really don't agree with that. So I'm going to get into reading this book now, and we are going to go chapter by chapter until this book is finished. Now, for this first episode of The Power of Now, I'm not actually going to read the first chapter of the book. I'm going to read the publisher's preface and the foreword, as well as the introduction, because it helps you really understand what this book is going to be about. It makes you excited for what is coming up. And I wasn't going to read this at first and jump right into chapter one instead. But after after reading this several times myself, I can see what value these, these pre-chapters would have to describe what this book is going to be about for everybody. It, it gets you excited. It gets you a little bit amped up for what's to come. And it, it's definitely something that's valuable. And also to hear Eckhart's words on where he was going this book with this book and why he wanted to read it. So I'm going to jump in right now and uh, begin the publisher's preface by Mark Allen, who was the author of A Visionary Business and also the author of A Visionary Life. Perhaps once in a decade, or even once in a generation, a book like The Power of Now comes along. It is more than a book, there's a living energy in it, one you can probably feel as you hold it. It has a power to create an experience in readers and change their lives for the better. The Power of Now was first published in Canada, and the Canadian publisher, Connie Kello, told me that she heard repeated stories of positive change and even miracles that happened once people got into the book. Quote, readers call in, she said, and so many of them tell me the wonderful healings, transformations, and increased joy they're experiencing because they've embraced this book. The book makes me aware that every moment of my life is a miracle. This is absolutely true, whether I realize it or not. And the power of now over and over shows me how to realize it. From the first page of his writing, it's clear that Eckhart Tolle is a contemporary master. He's not aligned with any particular religion or doctrine or guru. His teaching embraces the heart, the essence of all other traditions, and contradicts none of them. Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, indigenous, or anything else. He's able to do what all the great masters have done, to show us in simple and clear languages that the way, the truth, and the light is within us. 
Eckhart Tolle begins by briefly introducing us to his story, a story of early depression and despair that culminated in a tremendous experience of awakening one night not long after his 29th birthday. For the past 20 years, he's reflected on that experience, meditated, and deepened his understanding. In the last decade, he's become a world-class teacher, a great soul with a great message, one that Christ taught, one that Buddha taught. A state of enlightenment is attainable here and now. It is possible to live free of suffering, free of anxiety and neurosis. To do this, we have to come to understand our role as the creator of our pain. Our own mind causes our problems, not other people, not the world out there. It is our own mind, and with its nearly constant stream of thoughts, thinking about the past, worrying about the future, we make the great mistake of identifying with our mind, thinking that's who we are, when in fact we are far greater beings. Over and over, Eckhart Tolle shows us how to connect with what he calls our being. And he says, being is the eternal, ever-present one life beyond the myriad of forms of life that are subject to birth and death. However, being is not only beyond, but also deep within every form, as its innermost invisible and indestructible essence. This means that it is accessible to you now as your own deepest self, your true nature. But don't seek to grasp it with your mind. Don't try to understand it. You can only know it when your mind is still, when you are present fully and intensely in the now to regain awareness of the being and to abide in that state of feeling realization is enlightenment. The power of now is nearly impossible to read straight through. It requires you to put down the book periodically and reflect on the words and apply them to your own life experience. It is a complete guide, a complete course in meditation and realization. It is a book to be revisited again and again and each time you revisit it, you gain new depth and meaning. It is a book that many people, including me, will want to study for a lifetime. The Power of Now has a growing number of devoted readers, and it has already been called a masterpiece. Whatever it's called, however it's described, it is a book with the power to change lives, the power to awaken us to fully realize who we are. And now we'll go on to the foreword, written by Russell E. DiCarlo, who's the author of towards a new worldview. Blanketed by an azure sky, the orange-yellow rays of the setting sun can, at special times, gift us with a moment of such considerable beauty. We find ourselves momentarily stunned with frozen gaze. The splendor of the moment so dazzles us, our compuls compulsively chattering minds give pause, so as not to mentally whisk us away to a place other than the here and now. Bathed in luminescence, a door seems to open to another reality, always present yet rarely witnessed. Abraham Maslow called these, quote, peak experiences, since they represent a high moment of life where we joyfully find ourselves catapulted beyond the confines of the mundane and ordinary. He might just as well have called them peak experiences. During these expansive occasions, we sneak a glimpse of the eternal realm of the being itself. If only for a brief moment in time, we come home to our true self. Ah, one might sigh. So grand, if only I could stay here. But how do I take up permanent residence? During the past 10 years, I have committed myself to finding out, 
During my search, I've been honored to engage in dialogue with some of the most daring, inspiring, and insightful, quote, paradigm pioneers of our time. In medicine, science, psychology, business, religion, spirituality, and human potential, this diverse group of individuals is joined by their commonly voiced insight that humanity is now taking a quantum leap forward in its evolutionary development. This change is accompanied by a shift in worldview. The basic picture we carry with us of, quote, the way things are. A worldview seeks to answer two fundamental questions. Quote, who are we? And, quote, what is the nature of the universe in which we live? Our answers to these questions dictate the quality and characteristics of our personal relationships with family, friends, employers, employees. When considered on a larger scale, they define societies. It should be of little surprise that the worldview which is emerging calls into question many of the things Western society holds to be true. Myth number one. Humanity has reached the pinnacle of its development. SLN co-founder Michael Murphy, drawing upon comparative religious studies, medical science, anthropology, and sports, has made a provocative case that there are more advanced stages of human development. As a person reaches these advanced levels of spiritual maturity, extraordinary capacities begin to blossom of love, vitality, personhood, body awareness, intuition, perception, communication, and volition. First step to recognize they exist. Most people do not. Then methods can be employed with conscious intention. Myth number two, we are completely separate from each other, nature, and the cosmos. This myth of, quote, other than me has been responsible for wars, the rape of the planet, and all forms and expressions of human injustice. After all, who in their right mind would harm another if they experienced that person as part of themselves? Stan Groff in his research of non-ordinary states of consciousness summarizes by saying, the psyche and consciousness of each of us is, in the last analysis, commensurate with, quote, all that is. Because there is no absolute boundaries between the body slash ego and the totality of existence. Dr. Larry Dosey's Era 3 Medicine, where the thoughts, attitudes, and healing intentions of one individual can influence the physiology of another person. In contrast to Era 2, prevailing mind-body medicine is very well supported by scientific studies into the healing power of prayer. Now this can't happen according to the known principles of physics and worldview of traditional science, yet the preponderance of evidence suggests that it indeed does. Myth number three, the physical world is all that there is. Materialistically bound, traditional science assumes that anything that cannot be measured, tested in a laboratory, or probed by the five senses or their technological extensions simply doesn't exist. It's not real. The consequence? All of reality has been collapsed into physical reality. Spiritual, or what I would call non-physical, dimensions of reality have been run out of town. This clashes with the perennial philosophy that Philosophical consensus spanning ages, religions, religions, traditions, and cultures, which describes different but continuous dimensions of reality. These run from the most dense and least conscious, what we call matter, to the least dense and most conscious, which we call spirit.
Interestingly enough, this extended multidimensional model of reality is suggested by quantum theorists such as Jack Scarfetti, who describes superluminal travel. Other dimensions of reality are used to explain travel that occurs faster than the speed of light, the ultimate of speed limits. Or consider the work of legendary physicist David Bohm with his explicate physical and implicate non-physical multidimensional model of reality. There is no mere theory. In the 1982 aspect experiment in France demonstrated that two once connected quantum particles separated by vast distances remained somehow connected. If one particle changed, the other changed instantly. Scientists didn't know the mechanics of how this faster than the speed of light travel can happen, though some theorists suggest that this connection takes place via doorways into higher dimensions. So contrary to what those who pledge their allegiance to the traditional paradigm might think, the influential pioneering individuals I spoke with felt that we have not reached the pinnacle of human development. We are connected rather than separate from all life and that the full spectrum of consciousness encompasses both physical and a multitude of non-physical dimensions of reality. At core, this new worldview involves seeing yourself, others, and others. All of life, not through the eyes of our small earthly selves that lives in time and is born in time, but rather through the eyes of the soul, our being, the true self, one by one, people are jumping to this higher orbit. With his book, The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle rightfully takes his place among the special group of world-class teachers. Eckhart's message, The Problem of Humanity, is deeply rooted in the mind itself, or rather our misidentification with the mind. Our drifting awareness, our tendency to take the path of least resistance by being less than fully awake to the present moment, creates a void. And the time-bound mind, which has been designated to be a useful servant, compensates by proclaiming itself master. Like a butterfly flittering from one flower to another, the mind engages past experiences or projecting its own made-for-television movie anticipates what's to come. Seldom do we find ourselves resting in the oceanic depth of the here and now, for it is here, in the now, where we find our true self, which lies beyond our physical body, shifting emotions and the chattering mind. The crowning glory of human development rests not in our ability to reason and think, though this is what distinguishes us from animals. Intellect, like instinct, is merely a point along the way. Our ultimate destiny is to reconnect with our essential being and express from our extraordinary, divine reality in the ordinary physical world moment by moment. Easy to say, yet rare are those who have attained the further reaches of human development. Fortunately, there are guides and teachers to help us along the way. As a teacher and guide, Eckhart's formidable power lies not in his adept ability to delight us with entertaining stories, make the abstract concrete, or provide useful technique. Rather, his magic is seated in the personal experience as one who knows. As a result, there is a power behind his words found only in the most celebrated of spiritual teachers. By living from the depths of his greater reality, Eckhart clears an energetic pathway for others to join him. And what if others do? Surely the world as we know it would change for the better. 
Values would shift in the flotsam of vanishing fears that have been funneled away through the whirlpool of being itself. A new civilization would be born. Where's the proof of this greater reality, you ask? I offer only an analogy. A battery of scientists can get together and tell you about all the scientific proof for the fact that bananas are bitter. But all you have to do is taste one once to realize that there's this whole other aspect to bananas. Ultimately, proof lies not in intellectual arguments, but in being touched in some way by the sacred within and without. Eckhart Tolle masterfully opens us to that possibility. And that was the foreword by Russell E. DiCarlo. And now we'll get on to the introduction of the book by the man himself, Eckhart Tolle. Introduction, the origin of this book. I have little use for the past and rarely think about it. However, I would briefly like to tell you how I came to be a spiritual teacher and how this book came to an existence. Until my 13th year, I lived in a state of almost continuous anxiety interspersed with periods of suicidal depression. It feels now as if I'm talking about some past lifetime or someone else's life. One night, not long after my 29th birthday, I woke up in the early hours with a feeling of absolute dread. I had woken up with such a feeling many times before, but this time it was more intense, more than it ever been. The silence of the night, the vague outlines of the furniture in the dark room, the distant noise of the passing train, everything felt so alien, so hostile, and so utterly meaningless that it created in me a deep loathing of the world. The most loathsome thing of all, however, was my own existence. What was the point in continuing to live with this burden of misery? Why carry on with this continuous struggle? I could feel that deep longing for annihilation, for non-existence, was now becoming much stronger than the instinctive desire to continue to live. I cannot live with myself any longer. This was the thought that kept repeating in my mind. Then suddenly I became aware of what a peculiar thought that was. Am I one or two? If I cannot live with myself, there must be two of me, the I and the self that I, that I cannot live with. Maybe, I thought, only one of them is real. I was so stunned by this strange realization that my mind stopped. I was fully conscious, but there were no more thoughts. Then I felt drawn into what seemed like a vortex of energy. It was a slow movement at first, and then it accelerated. I was gripped by an intense fear, and my body started to shake. I heard the words, resist nothing, as if spoken inside of my chest. I could feel myself being sucked into a void. I felt as if the void was inside myself rather than outside. Suddenly there was no more fear, and I let myself fall into that void. I have no recollection of what happened after that. I was awakened by the chirping of a bird outside the window. I had never heard such a sound before. My eyes were still closed, and I saw the image of a precious diamond. Yes, if a diamond could make a sound, this is what it would be like. I opened my eyes. The first light of dawn was filtering through the curtains. Without any thought, I felt I knew that there was infinitely more light than we realize. That soft luminosity filtering through the curtains was love itself. Tears came to my eyes. 
I got up and walked around the room. I recognized the room, and yet I knew that I had never truly seen it before. Everything was fresh and pristine, as if I had just come into an existence. I picked up things, a pencil, an empty bottle, marveling at the beauty and aliveness of it all. That day I walked around the city in utter amazement at the miracle of life on earth, as if I had just been born into this world. For the next five months, I lived in a state of uninterrupted, deep peace and bliss. After that, it diminished somewhat in intensity, or perhaps it just seemed to because it became my natural state. I could still function in the world, although I realized that nothing I ever did could possibly add anything to what I already had. I knew, of course, that something profoundly significant had happened to me, but I didn't understand it at all. It wasn't until several years later, after I had read spiritual texts and spent time with spiritual teachers, that I had realized that what everybody was looking for had already happened to me. I understood that the intense pressure of suffering that night must have forced my consciousness to withdraw from its identification with the unhappy and deeply fearful self, which is ultimately a fiction of the mind. This withdrawal must have been so complete that this false suffering self immediately collapsed, just as if a plug had been pulled out of an inflatable toy. What was left then was my true nature as the ever-present I am, consciousness in its pure state prior to identification with the form. Later, I also learned to go into that inner timeless and deathless realm that I had originally perceived as a void and remain fully conscious. I dealt in states of such indescribable bliss and sacredness that even the original experience I just described pales in comparison. A time came when, for a while, I was left with nothing on the physical plane. I had no relationships, no job, no home, no socially defined identity. I spent almost two years sitting on park benches in a state of the most intense joy. But even the most beautiful experiences come and go. More fundamental, perhaps, than any experience is the undercurrent of peace that has never left me since then. Sometimes it's very strong, almost palpable and others can feel it too. At other times, it's somewhere in the background like a distant melody. Later, people would occasionally come up to me and say, I want what you have. Can you give it to me or show me how to get it? And I would say, you have it already. You just can't feel it because your mind is making too much noise. That answer later grew into the book that you're holding in your hands. Before I knew it, I had an external identity again, I had become a spiritual teacher. The truth that is in within you. This book represents the essence of my work. As far as it can be conveyed in words with individuals and small groups of spiritual seekers during the past 10 years in Europe and in North America. In deep love and appreciation, I would like to thank those exceptional people for their courage, their willingness to embrace inner change their challenging questions, and their readiness to listen. This book would not have come into existence without them. They belong to what is yet a small but fortunately growing minority of spiritual pioneers, people who are reaching a point where they become capable of breaking out of the inherited collective mind patterns that have kept humans in bondage to suffering for eons. I trust that this book will find its way to those who are ready for such radical inner transformation and so act as a catalyst for it. 
I also hope that it will reach many others who will find its content worthy of consideration, although they may not be ready to fully live or practice it. It is possible that at a later time, the seed that was sown when reading this book will merge with the seed of enlightenment that each human being carries within, and suddenly that seed will sprout and come alive within them. The book in its present form originated often spontaneously in response to questions asked by individuals in seminars, meditation classes, and private counseling sessions, and so I've kept the question and answer format. I learned and received as much in those classes and sessions as the questioners. Some of the questions and answers I wrote down almost verbatim. Others are generic, which is to say I combined certain types of questions that were frequently asked into one and extracted the essence from different answers to form one generic answer. Sometimes in the process of writing, an entirely new answer came that was more profound or insightful than anything I had ever uttered. Some additional questions were asked by the editor so as to provide further clarification of certain points. You will find that the first to the, from the first to the last page, the dialogues continuously alternate between two different levels. On one level, I draw your attention to what is false in you. I speak of the nature of human unconsciousness and dysfunction, as well as its most common behavioral manifestations. From conflict in relationships to warfare between tribes or nations, such knowledge is vital, for unless you learn to recognize the false as false, as not you, there can be no lasting transformation, and you would always end up being drawn back into illusion and into some form of pain. On this level, I also show you how not to make that which is false in you into a self and into a personal problem. For that is how the false perpetuates itself. On another level, I speak of a profound transformation of human consciousness, not as a distant future possibility, but available now, no matter who you are or where you are. You are shown how to free yourself from enslavement to the mind, enter into this enlightened state of consciousness and sustain it in everyday life. On this level of the book, the words are not always concerned with information, but often designed to draw you into this new consciousness as you read. Again and again, I endeavor to take you with me into that timeless state of intense conscious presence in the now, so as to give you a taste of enlightenment. Until you're able to experience what I speak of, you may find those passages somewhat repetitive. As soon as you do, however, I believe you will realize they contain a great deal of spiritual power and they may become for you the most rewarding parts of the book. Since every person carries the seed of enlightenment within, I often address myself to the knower in you who dwells behind the thinker. The deeper self that immediately recognizes the spiritual truth, resonates with it, and gains strength from it. The pause symbol, which in this book is represented like a tall squiggly S, after certain passages is a suggestion that you may want to stop reading for a moment, become still, and feel and experience the truth of what has just been said. There may be other places in the text where you will do this naturally and spontaneously. And when we get to those portions in the book, everyone, I will pause, I will I will signify that certain certain portion for everybody who's listening here. Um, so we'll, we'll do some sort of a pause naturally uh, at the broadcast. 
Continuing, as you begin reading this book, the meaning of certain words, such as being or presence, may not be entirely clear to you at first. Just read on. Questions or objections may occasionally come into your mind as you read. They will probably be answered later in the book, or they may turn out to be irrelevant as you go more deeply into the teaching and into yourself. Don't read with the mind only. Watch out for any, quote, feeling response as you read and a sense of recognition from deep within. I cannot tell you any spiritual truth that deep within you don't know already know. All I can do is remind you of what you have forgotten. Living knowledge, ancient and yet ever new, is then activated and released from within every cell of your body. The mind always wants to categorize and compare, but this book will work better for you if you do not attempt to compare its terminology with that of other teachings. Otherwise, you will probably become confused. I use words such as mind, happiness, and consciousness in ways that do not necessarily correlate with other teachings. Don't get attached to any words. They're only stepping stones to be left behind as quickly as possible. When I occasionally quote the words of Jesus or Buddha from a course in miracles or from other teachings, I do not I do so not in order to compare but to draw your attention to the fact that in essence there is and always has been only one spiritual teaching although it comes in many forms. Some of these forms such as the ancient religions have become so overlaid with extraneous extraneous matter that their spiritual essence has become almost completely obscured by it. To a large extent, therefore, their deeper meaning is no longer recognized and their transformative power lost. When I quote from the ancient religions or other teachings, is to reveal their deeper meaning and thereby restore their transformative power, particularly for those readers who are followers of the great religions or teachings. I say to them, there is no need to go elsewhere for the truth. Let me show you how to go more deeply into what you already have. Mostly, however, I have endeavored to use terminology that is as neutral as possible in order to reach a wide range of people. This book can be seen as a restatement of our, for our time of that one timeless spiritual teaching, the essence of all religions. It is not derived from external sources, but from one true source within. So it contains no theory or spe- speculation. I speak from inner experience, and if at times I speak forcefully, it is to cut through the heavy layers of mental resistance and to reach that place within you where you already know, just as I know, and where the truth is recognized when it is heard. There is then a feeling of exhalation and heightened aliveness as something within you says, yes, I know this is true. And that wraps up the three sort of preface portions of the book that I wanted to read before we actually get into the chapters. And just in some of those portions of the book, it speaks so many profound truths. I mean, he talks in some of these these portions about how almost all religions got many things right, but they were so convoluted that their current weight of the original essence of the ancient teachings was lost. And a more 
intelligent science-based conception of these truths is starting to come about. And I feel like this book has sparked such a large movement of that. And now you have so many people who are taking these concepts and a bunch of ancient concepts and matching them to current cutting edge science. That is what I'm totally passionate about and why I started this podcast, because I feel like it takes a lot of the things that are in this spiritual woo-woo sort of realm of of people not believing some of the, the higher potentials that we have as human beings, and they've now started to merge a lot of these things with unbelievable cutting-edge science and quantum physics and stuff like that. And I think this book and its concepts are so fundamental to understanding some of those bigger things that we will discuss later in the podcast. I feel like we're building this foundation and we're just going to have layer upon layer on top of what's to come. And I think one of the other very important things that he mentions in this introduction is the places that will pause. And those those places you may just want to pause maybe even longer i'll give a slight pause when i see those symbols in the book but you may want to pause a little bit longer on those and reflect on it just a few extra minutes until you're ready to to continue or you may even want to try meditation and we'll get into some of our meditation uh, practices and, and what it actually is all about at some point but if you don't meditate already it may be worth just giving it a shot. You can go on YouTube and find like 10 minute meditations on mindfulness. Go somewhere with a set of headphones where you're not going to be disturbed and, and things aren't going to shine in your eyes or distract you and try to cut off your senses and give it a shot. But this this book, and he talks about how he went into this sort of transformative state where everything was blissful. And that's how I describe when I've gone to deep meditations and I practice literally daily and I've only hit that that blissful mindlessness only a few times and it's very brief but i think it's one of the most powerful things to get a grip on our lives is incorporating meditation into our daily uh, healthy living practice and with that i'd like to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode where we began the reading of the power of now a guide to spiritual enlightenment by eckhart tolle and in this, again, in this episode, we went through just a few preface sections, and we will get into chapter one on the next reading. You are not your mind, the greatest obstacle to enlightenment. And I'm going to end this episode with a song from Soul Rising. That's S O L Rising. And this one is titled Daydreams off of the Chill Out Sessions 2. Until next time, keep living, everybody, and thanks for listening.